0: Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started.
1: Title of this interview is Restoring Hope, Identity, and Purpose. I like that very much. And we're going to be discussing, Oh, let me tell you who my guest is, first of all. It's Rob C. Lohman and i already had we already had you know a few words before this and boy this is going to be some conversation he's an expert in addiction recovery and i happen to be a recovered alcoholic and addict but we'll get into all that so let me tell you about what we'll be talking about with rob we'll be discussing his new best selling book the addiction intervention book and we'll talk about tools and strategies to help loved ones and employees who struggle with addiction and now about rob He's been sober since 2001. Rob, I got you beat. I got sober in 2000, so I'm superior. All right,
2: I'll concede to that one. You win. That's that's good. That's a good (laughs) win right there.
1: Fantastic, brother. Uh, And he's after a suicide attempt. Also, I've had that as well, Rob. So we got a lot of commonality. This is going to be great. Um, Rob has helped thousands of people find freedom from substance abuse and feeling stuck in a rut. To living a transformed life at liftedfromtherut.com. that's lifted he does this through sharing his testimony he his interventions coaching speaking and being the host of both beyond the bars radio and addiction freedom and faith podcasts so those are two different podcasts right
2: yep 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 two different podcasts that's right, right.
1: Rob invests in the lives of those wanting to see positive change, whether it is coming out of addiction, prison, or just wanting more for their lives. He is a dynamic speaker who shares an extremely powerful journey of persistence, faith, and inspiration. I love that. Rob is also the author of the Addiction Intervention book, which is number one, in 14 categories for bestseller and new releases on amazon this guy is getting some attention he must know what he's talking about his mission is restoring hope identity and purpose to the addicted let me tell you when the addict has that they got a lot then there's no longer a reason to be addicted great stuff welcome rob i'm really looking forward to this
2: hey i'm I'm excited to be here i'm excited for what you're doing and just to participate in another brother that's been recovered and uh it's good stuff. So yeah, even talking about like different lingo in recovery, right. Of recovered, recovering free, uh, all that stuff. So yeah, it's going to be a fun hour. I'm excited.
1: You know, I, right off the bat, let me just say this. Cause it's, it's, it's good preliminary stuff. You know, I used to be in an AA and NA and I got great things to say about them, though. I will also warn the people about the minefield and the, where the mines are, but, but, uh, I got clean and sober to, to use those terms in those fellowships. Uh, and, um, When I was a life coach, sometimes, you know, I offered myself as a recovery coach. I never hired hired a client, you know, a client never hired me as that, but I did help with addiction sometimes, but right now I, I happen to have a nephew is an addict. So of course, you know, I'm helping him as a recovery mentor and, uh, and my bro, my brother, his father, is, you know, he said just thank me for my devotion to him, and he goes, and I said, listen, I just, love him. I love him. Obviously, he's my nephew, but anyone, any addict who comes to me and wants to wants to get clean or sober, I'm gonna help you, all right? Because that that is just, it's like it's like the practically the duty of a recovered or recovering addict to do that, right? It's so, like you know, i You know, I used to say perhaps too cynically that addiction. Is the disease of selfishness, and that might be a bit too cynical, perhaps, perhaps not. We're all listen, we're all selfish. Uh, you know, it's we have to be some a lot of the times, but not all of the times, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know, I really want to hear what you've got to say. Uh, first of all, tell me about your book. Tell me about I want to hear about that real quick.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing that's actually kind of cool. I want to tell you, um, I have a little free gift for your listeners because I know. Some people hop on podcast shows and then they get busy and like oh nuts, I need to go back and re-listen to that. So I got a free gift for your people. If they go to freerecoverybook.com, they can go get a free rec- a free book there, free download. It's free recovery book. It's awesome tools. And currently, it actually is my best-selling book. It's so it's not a physical book, right? They got it's on it's virtual, but um, if they want to go to amazon they can buy the physical book and all that but it's a free download of my book and they just go to freerecoverybook.com. so let me
1: understand this you're offering the ebook version of your book for free to
2: yep so it's not the kindle version it's not the paper it's literally just a pdf version and people can go do that and, and it, that that domain name will change throughout the years right so whenever you're listening to this it could be something else but currently yeah it's a copy of uh my new book, the addiction intervention book on Amazon. And it was such a joy and, and fun time to write this because, and here's the reason why I wrote it, because, you know, I'm an interventionist and a coach and speaker and podcaster and all that. But in the intervention field, there are a lot of inexperienced people, right? And there are a lot of therapists and counselors that have no clue how to help a lot, like a client with an intervention. And there's families that have no clue how interventions work, but they know they need one. Right. So, what I did was actually interviewed a bunch of interventionists and narrowed it down to 10 individuals. They're all posted on the back of the book, but each interventionist has their own chapter in the book. Wow. And the reason is because, you know, there is no one way, as you know, chaos in addiction and mental health, it's all just like a big thing of spaghetti with, you know, pasta sauce and cheese and right. meatballs. Yeah, it's just a mess. So um, so there's a lot of ways to help people. So that's why I wrote the book. It's, it's an opportunity for me to share my story, my journey of faith, how I became an interventionist and how I've perfected what I do, but also just a different perspective from 10 other professionals. So we have about 280 years of experience in the book and about 320 years of recovery in the book. So um, wow. a lot of experience and it's really, So, I mean, I encourage people to go to Amazon and buy a physical copy, take notes, all that stuff, Um, or they can do the ebook, but they can actually go download it now. If they go to freerecoverybook.com, that's my gift to your listeners. And uh, now we can get into story and all that good stuff.
1: I thank you very much. It's very kind, very generous of you. I, 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 I. You know, I read them all the time. Of course, uh, many I'm read many of the books that I read on my phone are just PDFs, and I just you know I make marks and notes. That, that's nothing wrong with that at all. It's it's super convenient. Yeah. So thank you, That's great. And man, all that that your book encapsulates with all that's a lot of people who know what they're talking about. Man, <laughs> that yeah. is fantastic.
2: Yeah. And in that, like when you surround yourself around, like you surround yourself around other coaches, and I surround myself around coaches and interventionists. I mean, I naturally become better at what I do because I pick up on new skills, new tips, new tools. And, um, and, and here, here's a good example of why I did this, not why I did it, but something that happened along the way. And, you know, there, there was a family that uh, a friend of mine knew a family friend of theirs needed an intervention. And they were, they were looking for interventionists. They reached out to an interventionist and um, we're having a conversation with somebody else. And within the first five minutes, this, individual was already recommending three treatment centers and telling them where they were going to go and what he was going to do all right they called me and after the first couple minutes of talking to mom she said so where do you want to send my son and I and I said ma'am I I don't actually know where I would send your son yet or even if sending quote-unquote your son is the right thing to do and she goes well I heard you were good at what you do and you don't know I said no that's (laughs) not that's not what I said that's what you're saying to me but what I said was, I don't know yet. Why don't I know? Because I need to spend time with you. And in this case, it was you. And I need to talk to your husband. I need to talk to his brother and sister and other people that care enough about your son to get him the help he needs. And then as a team, we're going to figure out which of three recommended treatment centers we would like for him to go get help with or an outpatient program or something. I don't know what the answer is. So, but, but I don't have like, a list of treatment centers say, Oh, I'm going to send them to this one. Next time I'll send them to that one. It's like, what is going to make the most sense for your loved one? And the reason why I interview everybody, Tony, is because somebody in the family knows something that somebody else doesn't know. And so many things come uncovered and I do it confidentially. So, you know, I've had people tell me that, you know, the dad raped them, raped their son or daughter when they were young and they were kids and, or or fondled them or did something that uh, you know molested them and no one else talks about that in the family but now that i know that it can help me in figuring out what kind of treatment plan that somebody should go towards that deals with maybe sex and porn addiction or identity issues or something so there's a whole lot that goes into it it's not just we're going to show up and have a family meeting and kumbaya pow go to treatment it's, there's a lot to it so i do a lot of education and. Um, that's important to me. So that's, that's because the family needs as much help. And sometimes if not more than their loved one, that's shooting dope or smoking too much pot or shopping too much or gambling or masturbating or sleeping around. I mean, their addiction has all many faces. So.
1: Right. Anything that's, a, that's pleasurable can become an addiction. Let yeah. me, let me run this conundrum by you, Rob. Uh, I care for someone and uh, some of the people who care for him, they know that. You know, I, I have a lot of recovery. Uh, and so they asked me to do an intervention. I said, I'd be happy to. Uh, so uh, we've got to get the people together and then get them over there. The people were, are so intimidated by him. He's a very, he's a, you know alpha personality uh, that we just couldn't get the, this intervention coordinated and organized. So it never happened. And there was multiple attempts. You got any advice on that matter?
2: Um, my advice would be read the book, the addiction intervention, <laughs> the addiction intervention book will give you all the tools that you need to host your own family intervention. Um, but, I'm, go- so I'm going thing. to
1: that website.
2: That's right. That's right. You can just go to addictioninterventionbook.com and all that good stuff. So, um, but, and and that's that's a great question because is it possible for a family to do their own intervention? Yes, if you're prepared right and have the right tools in place. And the strategies and you understand what treatment looks like and you do your research. It is possible. Does it help when you have a mystery person in the room? Almost all the time. Yeah. Because they're like, well, who are you? And I'll tell them my quick story. Well, da went to prison for a little while, go down the gamut and say, and now I'm here. Why? Because your family loves you so much that they're here. If they didn't, they would just let you fail. So in your situation, you know, the the alpha, right, that controls everything and everyone's scared and intimidated by them. Well, I do have news for people. That person is pretty scared inside, too. They're just not letting anyone see it. Mm -hmm. So it's great when the stoic male or male or female, you know, successful business person, you know, cracks and breaks down in the intervention and starts crying. And uh, they're just like, I can't do this anymore. And so inside somewhere they want help but they're just too prideful to help. They're too prideful to ask for the help because, well, what do you mean? I got my business is running great. Um, you know, my wife's got every, or my husband's got everything he or she wants. The kids are good. They're going to college. You know, it's just kind of this posture and it's like, yeah, but no one knows you. And the question is, don't you want to be known back to the hope identity and purpose thing? Don't you want people to really know who you are? instead of the facade you put on so in your situation you're asking about um yeah go read the book and um
1: i'm gonna do that
2: but but family it's interesting because you could say everything i would say to this loved one you care about but they hear it from me and they're like oh wow i never heard that before Mm. but because the family's screaming at him and just like you need to do this instead of and here's the question i love to ask people so my whole philosophy on interventions is let's bring the bottom up to your loved one. Let them make the decision on what they're going to do and teach the family boundaries. And with that recipe, if the person's not ready for treatment or to get help on that day, they will be soon because they can look back on that and say, man, my brother or my, 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 my loved one, Tony, he came to me and and the family gave me these great options to get help because they cared and at that time I was just too prideful and whatever I wasn't going to take to help but I'm ready now so you guys still help me and I've got you know hundreds of examples of that working with families and but when the family holds to the boundaries and does some of that the stuff that I teach them and we talk through then change happens, especially for the family. Maybe not the loved ones struggling with addiction, porn, gambling, shopping, whatever. Yes. But eventually, that person will come around, and if they do crash, if they do go further down and hit the bottom, lose the company, um, go to prison, get a DUI, whatever, get divorced, they can at least look back on that day and say, man, you guys really did try to help me out. And I just kind of flipped you off and gave you the middle finger and said, we're done. Um, but so at least the family knows they did the best they could on that day. And then their loved one chose. Cause I'm not, I'm not a fan of, all right, go to treatment or get your bleepity bleep out of the house. Now. Now those are situations where that's appropriate, but for the most part, I don't like to ever go there because All that is, is shaming. I mean, it's we need to be loved and we need to look at where we want to. And so oh, the word I was going to say earlier is I like to ask people if you're ready to finally invest in yourself. No matter what anyone else thinks, this is all about you. So I love know it's all about them and the, the alpha. They love that. Of course, it's about me. I made that decision. I did that. Like, you're right. It's true.
1: Right. Now, what did you mean by bringing the bottom up?
2: Okay. So. I hear families say often, they'll call me and say, well, maybe we'll just wait until Billy gets a DUI, or maybe we'll just wait until his wife leaves, leaves him, then he'll get the message. And I'm like, why go through all that pain when you can literally offer up a present and say, here you go, take it now or not, or if you want to crash and burn, go do it. But we will love you in your recovery, but we will no longer love you in your addiction."
1: right so just saying that the bottom is here
2: yeah it's here today right now and someone listening right now someone listening right now sitting there going oh and i'm like man right now today can be your bottom in this moment if you reach out for help so call a local crisis center um, if it's just you struggling right go to an aa meeting i mean when you and i got sober it was like the aa and na all the a's were back then they didn't have Smart recovery, Dharma recoveries, like celebrate recovery. I mean, they may have had celebrate recovery back then, but they didn't have all this other stuff that's available. IOPs, like OPs, like all these programs, they just weren't totally around like they are now. Twenty-two years, twenty-one years later.
1: Fantastic. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll come right back with Rob Loman. And now that was great. That was awesome. But we're gonna get into the meat. We'll get into Rob's background and a lot, lot more when we come right back.
2: This episode of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Perficio learns more about you as you make progress and then uses that information to help you even more. It is quasi AI. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P
1: E R F I C I O.io, where you can be helped
2: by something that learns more about you because that is the difference that makes the
0: difference
1: you're listening to the self-help coaching podcast with me your host tony Petroza. we're talking about addiction and recovery and i think more with rob loman great stuff now rob i want to ask you how has addiction played a role in your life
2: well tony i have really never had an addiction problem i just play one on tv um yeah, no you, you, so, know, you
1: didn't like you didn't have a cocaine problem you just like the way it smelled
2: yeah yep yeah, exactly i liked uh i liked sugar in my coffee so um <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a Christian home in Fort Wayne, Indiana, aunts, uncles, cousins, like we all live close by each other. So it was real family focused, right? Um, You know, alcohol was one of those things that I wasn't necessarily aware of, but started becoming aware of in like social gatherings and parties. And I just saw the fun part of substances. And I'm just talking alcohol. I didn't know, I never saw pills or cocaine or anything as a kid, like literally just people drinking beer and having fun or a glass of wine. So for me, it was more of like, that's kind of fun. So it was the, it was kind of like, I was attracted to it for that reason, but I didn't have a situation that happened where I'm like, okay, I really need to just buckle down and, and get drunk because something tragic happened to me. Right. So we moved to Texas and I really felt out of place in Texas. and was just trying to fit in, you know, Midwest boy in the South and just had some unique situations, right. That, um, heightened my insecurities in myself, and over time, it was just kind of like, "There's the alcohol; it looks kind of fun." Vacations in Michigan, people drank a lot, and it was just there. And then I remember that like the first drunk I ever had was when I was in uh, 14 years old at a Christian youth event at a family's house in Fort Worth, Texas, and a guy showed up with six pack of beer. Right, it was two girls, six pack of beer. In some bushes and so i was like
0: <laughs> huh
2: so we walked through the bushes and i literally it was kind of like alcohol had me at because yeah. i cracked open those three beers tony and just was like drank them and those three are looking at me like what is going on with this guy and um and that was it, it had me hook line and sinker but the thing was i learned the art of manipulation that night too because my mom picked me up and i was pretty buzzed right she picked me up looked in my eyes and said, honey, why are your eyes so red? Uh-huh. And I go, mom, it's these new hard contacts and my allergies are killing me. I need to get them out. Uh-huh. And okay. Sounds good. And so, you know, for the next 15 years, I just blamed it on my contacts, but, um,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, but that, but that was it, man. I mean, it just, it's kind of became the things that we did like on like at the lake with older, because my brother was older and older friends, right. And older, like people I grew up with and it was just always around. So really, I'll just say from 14 to 29, alcohol was just a centerpiece of a lot of the fun that I had, you know, and um, so high school, we'd go get drunk at lunch and go back to school or not drunk, but we'd go drink at lunch, go back to school, drink and drove all the time. But I had straight A's pretty much. So it was like there wasn't a a spotlight on me, right? Right. Nice. And I always had friends that were worse off than I was. So, way you stand, I know you may, maybe you had some friends like that. And you're like, oh man, Fred is so much worse than I am. Look at Fred. And, um, and so that was kind of the journey. And see, uh, I'll tell you this right now because right now I'm, I'm doing a swim for recovery campaign. And the reason I'm swimming for recovery is to create awareness, draw attention to breaking free from substances and living a f- substance free life, right? And so I'm sharing recovery stories every day in the month of September and just to have people have these connection points they can get with people. Right. And I did that because swimming has been a big part of my mental health since I got sober. It was a big part of my addiction because I swam all the time on swim teams and senior year I quit swimming instead of quit drinking just because it was taking over. And I don't know if I could have been like an Olympic swimmer ever, but I wasn't, I was not a bad swimmer. I was pretty good. And so that was just one of the things that I sacrificed at a younger age is alcohol took over and instead of swimming. So that was part of my pain early on.
1: You know, in, in, in relation, you know, I, I may I can I have my i trace my genesis to my addiction to my father leaving home. And I say that with any blame I had for him. Is, I've forgiven him and I realized that there was really nothing to blame as I matured. You know, my father did the best he could with the resources he had at the time. That all said, I was very into scouting, but after he left home, I, I, you know, I, you know, there, there began the sense of inadequacy, That was it, you know, and, and that's at the root of almost all addiction, if not all. Uh, and, um, but uh, I had a great sadness, you know, and later on that sadness became a great rage, but I was disconnecting from the world. I was, a, I was a great scout, very scouting, and then I quit the scouts. The scouts tried to get me. I was like, no, no, I lied about, oh, I can't, I can't, you know. So I started withdrawing from life.
2: Yeah, so, yeah.
1: And, that, and boy, that reconnecting with the world and life is a critical part, has always been a critical part of my recovery.
2: Yeah, and recovery is so key. I mean, you know, the especially now because I mean I and we'll get to this a little bit later but I mean I had a mental breakdown in recovery year 11 of recovery that sent me to prison for a little while and it was all related to this mental health stuff we're talking about so it's not just about the substances they're covering up the pain right and and then later on I learned what the pain was you know and just trying to fit in and feel accepted and some things that happened as a kid I like blocked out right and then you know nothing nothing crazy still it was just kind of stupid stuff but it's it's kind of the thing, like my, my one of my mentors, Dr. Neil Anderson, says this a lot. Um, he does a lot of like freedom in Christ ministry stuff, because that's kind of where my faith is. And he talks about in life, we have these traumatic things that happen. And they're traumatic. I mean, you, we, you and I have heard stories over the years, right, of just some traumatic stuff, especially as podcasters and interviewing people. You hear some pretty stu- stuff. You're like, I could see why you'd be pretty pissed off at God. I could see why you would not trust men or women, right? And you hear these kind of things. And, and he said something to me once that at first I was taken back and I thought it was kind of offensive. But then I thought about it and it was really true. So he said, Rob, the traumatic event in people's lives happened. It's already done. It happened. The event itself is done. It's the lies that we believe about the event that have defined us that carry on. And that was really powerful. At first, I was like, Well, yeah, well, what about when someone gets raped? You know, and they were you know, like drinking or something and they had no control over it. And he goes, Yeah, Rob, but they're not getting raped over and over and over and over and over again. Right? They're in their mind, they are, and that's what needs to be healed, is is the trauma from the event. And so, and again, but I was I was offended at first because I was like, Man, that's pretty hardcore. But the, tr- the truth is traumatic things happen. And then we believe lies about ourselves to go forward. So I believed over my life that I sucked, I had failed, I'd never be good enough. I had this fear of success throughout my life. So when I would put potential and alcohol in the same room or drugs or whatever, you know, um, alcohol would beat potential every single time. And so I had these lost opportunities that I had to grieve over time. And and it was those realizations were like, wow, that it was pretty powerful so it's just listening to people smarter than me and trying to figure out life and uh so i've surrounded myself around mentors now in recovery but getting to the night you know when i got sober it was not easy let me journey. let me
1: compliment that real quick rob very often when uh, when people have trauma when, you know in the past obviously we say to ourselves that we can't heal from it okay or or, and then there's this even more insidious we shouldn't heal from it oh i i should not heal from that because that was just too bad for me or or uh, the weight of such a the consequence of such a crime or travesty boy we say things to ourselves to keep us down it's what what an existence what what a thing the human condition
2: yeah well it's comfortable there yeah it's comfortable to and and again this And I always say that if this offends somebody, it's take a look at it yourself. (laughs) It's like we can stay in the victim role as long as we want. Absolutely. I've stayed in the victim role for things in my life. And it's like, all I did was cause me pain directly, but then indirectly people around me pain because I'm holding on to it. And so, as as I said, like early recovery would say, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die and the only person staying in bondage by having a grudge against someone is you if you want to go from bitter to better i have to change to be better and let it go and it's not to say that we're gonna forget right because we the memories might still be there and stuff but it's forgiveness is for the person is for me
1: absolutely if I,
2: me me forgiving someone it's it's for me and however they receive it is how they're going to receive it so uh but it's the illusion of control right we try to control things and we can't and um and that's you know as we talked about before and that's what led to my suicide attempt in 2001 before i got sober was because i believed a lot of lies about myself yes you know believe the lies that as i looked around my environment myself and, and i was doing suicide ideation a ton i would see myself die often but I was still alive. And it was just building, building, building. And I hated who I saw in the mirror, you know, and it was just self-loathing and, and self-contentment and, you know, depression and anxiety. And it, it was just all these things that were going on in my life. But I didn't know what it was. It was just something that totally sucked and was awful. And, and I wanted out. I wanted out of the pain.
1: Absolutely. You know what I found that the the, really the the universal lie that addicts subscribe to and many more is that I don't deserve better. That's the universal lie. I don't deserve better. No matter what I'll tell you, I'll put this mask on and tell you how great I am and how you should do all these great things for me. Uh, But uh, inside, I don't deserve better. Yeah, that's the great lie that we have to unbelieve all of us.
2: Yeah, well, that's the unworthiness. That's why that's why I speak a lot about hope, identity and purpose. Right. Because, see, someone who's dealing with suicide has lost some of that, a lot of that, probably most of that. And for me, I mean, I drank and drove eight nights a week, Tony, and I was gambling like crazy. And I would close the bars down and drive two and a half hours, do a casino and a blackout, have no clue I even went. And so I really hated Rob. I hated what Rob was doing. But outside like you were saying outside, the mask was like, hey, Rob's fit. He's good looking. He's got a job. He's got a career in real estate. He's got girlfriends. I mean, Rob has it going on. He's buying people drinks. He must have money. And I'm like, uh, Hey, Visa, look how much money do I have on the credit card tonight? Okay, cool. Um, you know, right. And just self-loathing. So it climaxed uh, on June, on June 8, 2001, I was hanging out at a bar in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it was loud music girls everywhere dancing and just kind of like, you know, ont, ont, ont. you know, we were just dancing and partying and, But then all of a sudden, the bar got completely dead silent. I mean, I could have heard a pin drop. And then I audibly hear the words, you're done. (laughs) And then the bar got really loud again. And I'm looking around the bar, Tony, and I mean, I'm the only person that happened to in the bar. And I feel like that was God saying to me, you're done. Wow. You know, and I looked at my friend, Sean, and I go, man, I was like, bro, I got to go home. I'm finally done drinking. And he's like, yeah, whatever. We'll see you tomorrow, right? you know, the, the, because I had never told anyone I was quitting before ever. I never did foxhole prayers and say, God, get me out of this. I'll never do it again. Cause I knew I would, I just wasn't done. Right. But this night it was different. I felt different driving home. It was like two people driving the drunk guy. And then a guy that something just happened to and didn't know what it was. And I get home to my apartment, unlock the door walk up 12 flight, 12 stairs to my one bedroom apartment in this big loft. And the next thing I knew, Tony, I'd put 350 pounds on my barbell, laid down on my workout bench, picked up that barbell and just unhinged my elbows to crush myself and, and take me out of the game.
1: This is after you said that you, you would, Oh, you heard that you're done.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I thought, you know, what I thought in the bar when I heard it was you're done drinking. What I guess I had taken that message is you're done. You suck. You failed. You're not a misinterpretation. Anything. Yeah. Slight, <laughs> slight misinterpretation there. Uh, but I'm laying on my workout bench and literally I unhinged my elbows to drop this weight. And it's like, God stopped time in that moment and looked at my dog, Jake and said, go save your dad. My dog comes over and starts nudging my knee with his head. And it's kind of those deep, deep wise eyes of an animal. And it's like, Who's going to feed you tomorrow morning? Was my first thought. And his eyes were deep. And and meanwhile, this is like, you know, lightning speed of time because I currently have this barbell hanging over my body that I can't even hold up. But what I believe is that God carries the weight of the world. God was carrying the weight of my pain that night. And that visualization, right, was like, okay, are you done? And I'm like, holy. You know, like, who's going to feed you tomorrow? What about my mom, my dad, my brother? Like, all this good stuff's flowing through my, my brain now. Memories, and God puts that barbell back on the rack. And it was in that moment, like, I can hear the metal hit metal, but my whole life changed right then in that moment. And I slept in peace for the first time in decades. I mean. Decades. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: Let, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll be talking about a lot more, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll briefly go into my bottom and my suicide attempt uh, just so I won't be outdone by you. <laughs> great stuff, I'm, just, I'm loving this conversation. We'll come right back with Rob Lohman. This episode
0: of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perphysio. Poor finances are the leading cause of stress divorce and general troubles. Financial managers, coaches, and consultants are great, but responsibility rests with you. There are new answers. Visit www.perphysio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O. You can truly learn the foundational attitudes and
1: methods of accruing wealth and staying wealthy. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're speaking with Rob Loman. We have a lot of commonality and, and this, Rob has got a lot of knowledge and expertise and he's sharing with us about his own personal story. He just talked about, well, uh, would you say that was your bottom?
2: That was my bottom with substances. I had another bottom later mental health-wise, 11 years later, but from that point forward, God and I was a guy that could drink like two bottles of scotch in a day, sales and marketing type stuff. But from that moment forward, God completely removed my desire and obsession to ever take a drink again, and I've not had one Uh craving, not one craving in 21 years, even with going to prison and all this crazy stuff that happened later. But
1: that's relatively rare, Rob. I think it is. It is. Yep. Now, what my bottom. My bottom. I heard the news of the death of my favorite person in the world, my sister. She was killed, ironically, by a drunk driver, and that's when I said, "I'm done." God, I didn't hear you're done. I heard I'm done, and it was my own voice. And, I, and that's when I took all the suggestions that I wouldn't take. I took them all, and I mm-hmm. never had to use again. And that was my bottom. And that's not an uncommon story. <laughs> Very much more most common is that people to their own actions or to the actions of somebody else that affect them directly. You know, it's that it feels so much pain that's okay. But the, for me, it was just hearing the news of my sister. That yeah. was my bottom. But let me tell you about my my suicide at the time when I, I had I was staying away from drugs as best I could, way preceding that that bottom. Uh and uh but life had become too painful for me. It's psychically painful. And I put a gun to my head, a muzzle, you know, the muzzle uh resting on the temple, finger trembling on the trigger, and I said god is there anything i was looking in a full length mirror naked i was in better shape than if you want to visualize it (laughs) and and i said god is there anything else before i pull this fucking trigger and i'm not saying i heard the voice of god but i heard there was something that told me put it down and and i put it down I, i laid in bed for three days phone ringing off the hook tapping my feet together obsessively for 72 hours if you will not, not the, not the heels like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, but the, the balls of my feet. Until my mother came over, and finally said, "Everybody's trying, you know, people are trying to get a hold of you. What's going on?" And I said those magic words I never uttered before, and that was, "I need help." And that was the beginning. And that was, and I was already had an attempted recovery. So it took me eight years, eight years, to finally get successful in recovery. Six, about six hundred attempts, six hundred times I quit drinking and using other drugs, until I finally surrendered to the program. Of uh, AA and uh, NA, and and I endorse those programs. Uh, but like I said at the outset, there are things to watch out for.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: but uh, great stuff, man. You know, it's if you know, and of course, you know, you're an interventionist. You probably have worked with rehabs and detoxes, and I, you know, and I don't I'm not against those, but you know what? Uh, In my experience and observation, a person gets or stays clean or sober. When they want to more than anything else, they'll do it. And when they don't, they're going to continue with the shenanigans because the problem is yourself, not yourself as a person. Because, you, you know, it's the lies that you say about yourself, as you already talked about. It's your own thinking. That thinking must change. That thing, yeah. That's the culprit. Not you, the person, the thinking of, the, of your brain, of your mind. That's the problem.
2: Yeah, and just retraining your brain. I mean, that's why there's so much talk these days about neuroplasticity and neuroscience and just kind of, you know, CBT, all these different <clears throat> therapies and things to help really rewire the brain. And because that's why, I mean, my business is called Lifted from the Rut, which is what God gave me when I went to prison, is a name of something I would do later on in my life to help lift people out of their ruts. And that's what we get in with our addictions, is we get in this ruts so of just kind of like, hey, bro just drive the next street over. There's no liquor store and quit going down the street where there is one. It's like, but my car just automatically ends up in front of the liquor store every single day. And, um, and that was one thing a buddy of mine said, I was trying to quit gambling, which quitting gambling was being freed from gambling was so much harder than substances for me. Wow. Cause gambling, so gambling is a process addiction, right? Cause you don't have to put a chemical in your body to gamble. About dopamine and just dopamine depletion and synapses not firing and brain chemistry and all this stuff, right? And when you love gambling, like risk taking and adrenaline and impulsivity, gambling's a great fit for that. And it's even tied to the same part of the brain where um, sex addiction, porn addiction, and food addiction, shopping, gaming—they're all tied to the same part of the brain because, again, we have to eat food if we have a food addiction, but we have to learn how to have a healthy relationship with food. We have to deal with money because we got to pay bills. We got to earn money. We got to do life. Right. But we have to have a healthy relationship with money. And it's like sex and porn addiction. I mean, God created us to be fruitful and multiply and to have children and, and grow and nurture and be in relationship with people. But we still have to learn how to have healthy relationships with people. Right. So, So some of those things are harder. And when people break free from substances, then the real work begins. And then other things come up, like the cornucopia of addictions. And, um, you know, and that was a continual part of my journey. You asked about like my bottom and I feel like I've had two of them. One, substances, right? And two, mental health. And- And
1: You said you were 11 years sober when you had that mental health breakdown?
2: Yeah, I, I would say 11 years without substances because- sobriety is up for debate right because what what really is sobriety is it abstinence or what is it but right for me you know i was i was single when i got sober uh, were you single when you got sober or no yes okay and then later on i got in a relationship with my wife right and then i had kids and i had a business life got busy like i'm too busy to go to meetings tony i'm too busy tony i'll catch you next week i'm too busy thanks for the call tony but I'm too busy. Can't make a meeting this week. And, um, but what, what I thought I thought I had really strong faith, but it was really shallow roots of my faith. So fear over became faith, scarcity mentality took over abundance. And over time, I just kind of broke down. I started dealing with suicide-ation again. You, know, you suck, you failed, you'll never measure up. and it, And it wasn't it was like outside messages coming in that I took in as truths about myself instead of what God really says about me. Like my true identity, I took on other identities that says, no, you failed. You suck. You're losing your business loser and all that stuff. So suicide was huge. I actually started, I haven't shared this in a couple of interviews, but um, it was so bad one night. And I don't know where this came from, Tony, but I was looking at all these piles of paper in my office And I was paralyzed. Like, I literally could not move. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I was sitting in my office. I'm like, I got to get some work done. But I was overwhelmed by the piles. I had some OCD I didn't know about. (laughs) I was overwhelmed by piles. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I literally took my fist. And I clocked myself in the side of the head. And I literally had like a flash of light, like getting punched. And I hit myself hard because I hated hated myself. And I started beating myself up. (laughs) And you I didn't. Like,
1: uh, and you hit yourself more than once in that event,
2: in that, in that event. No, but over time that actually felt good because what it did was it gave me a shot of dopamine uh-huh. and then I could function. Cause see, I was still gambling a bunch. And so I was all over the place. So, but I also hated who I was and I would, I would get so mad at myself that I would, and I used, I wear glasses sometimes too in contacts, but I would hit myself so many times on the side of the head. I couldn't even put my glasses on. Oh my God. No one ever knew that.
1: Didn't ever. you ever hear balancing it out? You got to give yourself some lefts too. Rob. Yeah, I was like, boom, boom,
2: boom, uppercuts, <laughs> you know? And it was like, a, it was like a, a game show, right? And and it was so scary, man. Um, I lost my insurance agency uh, at the time due to sales and production numbers. My wife quit her job. We were in a really bad place. I hated who I was. You know, it was gambling like crazy. And I, I snapped in February, 2011 uh, or 2012. I just snapped one night up late had a mental blackout and lit some boxes on fire on my covered patio. There's a lot of detail in there, just shortening it up for your show. But I said, some boxes on,
1: do you attribute that to a loss or decline of recovery or something else? Maybe peripheral direction. So
2: I relate it to, okay. I look at this. A guy's brain is like a waffle. (laughs) We put work over here, recovery here, relationships here, money, like Comp- compartmentalization yeah, totally and then imagine that waffle becoming a pancake all of a sudden <laughs> with syrup and everything just melts uh, okay that's what happened to me that excellent day. metaphor and i just lost it he, just, he
1: just lost it he just, he out just of character blocks. moment
2: and and set some stuff on fire on my patio and i couldn't stop it and nobody got hurt thank god it was a townhouse community wow lost pretty much everything um Ended up, you know, long, long, long details there, but lied about it, confessed to it, got sentenced to prison, looking at 13, two years of work release to 56 years in prison. And uh, God did some amazing miracles in that. And that was in 2013.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. Let's take a moment here from our sponsor. And then we're going to get into your program. I want to talk about Chameleon and, and your program. Great stuff thanks a lot rob i am really you know i'm really behind in in my my structure of of my this interview because we're having such a wonderful <laughs> organic conversation yeah you know packed with i think very valuable information but uh you know if, if we want to extend this conversation then we will it'll be our agreement but i'm i'm thoroughly enjoying this discussion we'll come right back with rob long
0: this episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Proficio. Ever heard of accelerated learning techniques? What if you learned more deeply than ever before? What if you remembered what you learned far better than ever before? Visit www.proficio.io. That's Proficio.io, where you can understand perhaps better than ever before.
1: You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with uh, with me, your host, Tony Petrozzo, having an awesome conversation with Rob Loman. Okay, we just t- Rob talked about his, some of the things that happened to him. Now let's get into him uh, as a recovery expert, if you will. Um, now, uh, describe what it means to live the life of a chameleon. Okay, that is that. That's a, a, one of your terms. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I like this term. Elaborate, please.
2: Yeah, I'm work- I'm working on a whole theory about this. So stay okay. tuned for future information. But okay, um- great. So, we think about a chameleon, right? And what do chameleons do in their environment? They They match. They blend in, right? You can't tell difference from one to the other. And that was kind of like my life. It's if I needed to act differently on the swim team versus talking to grandparents versus talking to the police as I'm in trouble to whatever, I could just blend in and fit in and really kind of manipulate the situation so I'm undetected. And that's kind of, and over time, though, as a chameleon, you don't really know who you are. (laughs) Am I red? Am I black? I just went by a yellow sign. I turned yellow, but a minute ago I was green. And so you lose your identity, in my opinion, living this chameleon lifestyle, which is why I'm so passionate about identity. So that was kind of like my life. You know, I looked like I had it all together. I had 20 masks I wore. I fit in and uh, just had no clue who I was until you want to know where I found out who I was, Tony. I found out who I was in prison.
1: Oh, wow. Wonderful.
2: You know, I mean, I was, I was looking at two years of work release to 56 years in prison. You got humble. Yeah. Got a third, third, humble, but I had time. So I went to prison on a five-year sentence. I had two charges totaling 13 years, but while I'm sitting in my cell, I'm just like, I got time. So I read, I just read books. You know, that's what prison gave me was time. While my wife was home, being a single mother trying to figure the kids out, they were three and five at the time. And just did an amazing job with them and stayed with me and we're working through stuff still and just kind of, you know, collateral damage. Right. Um, but while I was gone, I just studied and I'm like, I got to figure out who the heck I am. And so I studied, I've been a Christian my whole life, but my actions didn't show it. Right. So I actually read the Bible from front to back. I was listening to radio and it said, Hey, and this ties into what I do now is was, like, Hey, read the Bible in 90 days. So I did, you know, and I, and I got it. And I was like, Holy cow. That for me, in my faith, I'm like, this stuff's true. Like, I'm I'm in. And I read 42 books when I was incarcerated and uh had a went to like 12 life learning classes. So I just became a sponge of information. Learned I, and- by the
1: way, Rob, when I was in jail in Los Angeles, I was homeless and then I wound up in jail. They called me the librarian because I was the only person who would be in the library reading books. I was oh, wow. everyone else is out, no one except for me. I'm like, what better what better thing do you got to do in prison but read books, man?
2: Yeah, like there's only so many burpees you can do, right?
1: Right, right, right.
2: And and it was that thing. I actually have my prison box right behind me here, and I was reading through that, just the wonderful notes and things that people supported me and and everything. But while I was incarcerated, I um I just started listening. I was like, God, what do you how how do you want me to use this? Because I'm not going to waste this. And I just started drawing, and it was like I'm a bubble guy. So when I do coaching, I'm all about bubbles. Like, you want to do this thing in the middle? Let's draw a circle. And it was lifted from the rut. And then what does that look like? Well, I want to write books or create programs or, and I hadn't done any of this stuff before. So I just started trying these bubbles. And then if I want to write a book, well, how do you write a book? Well, you got to do this and this and this, and then those have bubbles. So it's kind of like, where do you start? Right. But all of that, writing it down on a piece of paper, you know, you had to order off of the canteen and get your paper mailed to you, sent to you in in the gym and go pick it up. And I just started writing in there, and it was like I, I just wanted to help people. So lifted from the rut is that. And then it was writing a book. Well, you know, I now have the addiction intervention book. Create programs to help people. Well, now I do I do coaching for people with you know with coming out of addiction. I don't coach anyone in active addiction. It's like there's free programs out there. You can go to AA, it's free, it's simple. Smart recovery, celebrate recovery. Like there's there's if you have no money, there's you know, crisis center programs. There's all that, right? Because um, I'm more of like a professional coach. So when people are have a little sobriety under their belt, they want to get their life on track and how start. How much? To re- how
1: much typically? How much sobriety would you say?
2: You know, I people that it, it really it goes back to desire, but I have found that people have like at least like six months of sobriety. They've got a taste of because I'm big on counseling, coaching, and community. You got to have all three of those. It's like the three legged stool. You know, if you get rid of one of those, your balance is off. So coaching, counseling, and community. Um, I have an online course called the Trifecta of Recovery. And it's just what, a cool what, course. What's
1: the, what's the three points?
2: Uh, so it's it literally is just the coaching, counseling, and community. And I'll within that, gotcha. I, break, I break it down on how to incorporate that into your life. Because we have to understand from where we come. But we don't stay there in a victim mentality, right? Like you said earlier. we We have to understand it. But we also have to have community that we can enjoy the present but coaching is going to help us see the future and where we want to go absolutely right it's like past present future and one of my friends said once he goes well you know rob he's an older guy he goes and you probably heard this too it's like you know if you got one foot standing in the future (laughs) and one foot standing in the past you're pissing all over the present (laughs) and i was like you're right and so how do we enjoy the now um, but I also do a lot of coaching with people that want strategies on building their businesses and say, hey, I want to grow my podcast, I want to write a book, I want to create a coaching program, I want to do this, So I'm taking the, you know, 10s of 1000s of dollars I've invested in coaches that have taught me, and then imparting that wisdom onto other people that want to do something with their life now, like they're, they're sober, or they're in life transition, they just got a divorce, or they got married or wherever they are in transition, and say, or they just say, I just want to start a business. I'm sick of being an employee. I got passion. I said, Hey, let's do it. So it's challenging people, which is a lot of fun. I mean, I love the business coaching stuff and then interventions. They're wild. They're just wild. You never know what they're going to look like. They're intense. And it's, it's sometimes the simplest point of a family calling me up and saying, Rob, I know my husband needs treatment and he just needs to go to treatment and they're heightened, right? Something's going on. And, I, and I, I've gotten guys into treatment over coffee and saying, hey, have you ever asked your husband if he wanted help? No, I just, he needs it. And I tell him all the time, like, okay, well, what if we invite him into the process and say, honey, I, I know you're struggling and I'm not helping, but I met this guy named Rob. He's a pretty cool, dude. Would you go have coffee with him or get on a zoom call with him? And just have a conversation and we just get real like you and I are doing swapping stories and spitting chairs, hands, shaking hands or whatever, you know, and just getting real and, and just say, man, if you're sick and tired of this crap, let's talk about how to get you off the roller coaster now, or go keep doing your thing. Call me when you want help. And don't be surprised if I show up one day with your entire family in an intervention, <laughs> what do you mean? So, but it's, it's to that simplicity to waiting around the corner with the family and everyone in their cars and we roll in and we do an intervention and, you know, and if, if they want to go cool, if they don't, we create boundaries around it. So it's, it's all in between there to an invitational intervention, which again, why I wrote the book to help people understand the processes. And so between, yeah, and I have a couple, so I, I do have balance in my life, whether people believe it or not between (laughs) two podcast shows, coaching interventions and doing the swim for recovery thing I'm doing. And not uh, to mention
1: author. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. And uh, but you know, I have a nonprofit side to what I do. So that's great. I mean, if, I mean, literally, if people went to swimforrecovery.com, they can oh, yeah. see
1: swim for recovery, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. They they can see everything I'm doing and I'm earning it. Like I'm I'm busting my butt, swimming a mile a day. I'm not just asking for handouts. But the reason I build the nonprofit side, yeah, I have what's called a business tree. A business ministry, business tree, I call it.
1: Ah, well done. Like
2: that. And um, because there are people that need help, they can't afford it, but they really want it. I mean, Tony, they want it, but they just, their family's burned out and stuff, but I can tell they want it. So if they need like a sober living help, a scholarship or counseling or therapy or something like that will help them. You know, but also it goes to support all the programs and things that I do from events to podcasting to advocacy work and so, so all the funds are donated go to help people in a variety of ways.
1: Rob, you're the man. You, I love your activities, man. Great to see. You are the exact example of what I would often say in my early recovery, that a lot of people poo-poo. There's, there's a very, there's a lot of poor self-esteem in the rooms, right? Yes. And I would say, listen, no, I want to get, I want to recover because at the core of my addiction was living with my lost potential. And that caused me to have sh- great shame and regret with that. And I said, well, recovery has to be the opposite of that. It has to be, be me per- manifesting my potential. And you are a person who has done that quite obviously. Uh, so you are the epitome of recovery in my eyes. Uh, and I strive to do the same thing, you know, and to, you know, like well, the second step for those who don't know the second step the, the principle is is hope, but I would I would say the principle is positivity, and and um, the second step I was like, okay, well, what hopes do I have for my life? Well, wow, I actually if I, or, or you know, I actually have a lot of hope, and what and what if I even drop my my self limiting beliefs? What hopes would I have? Wow, I got even bigger ones. That's what fuel was at the heart of my recovery. Wow. Uh, that I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Not that I'm not gonna go for it anymore. Now I'm gonna go for it, you know, and take off the seatbelt because I'm going. Yeah. And and you did it, and that's and then I I would say that that is really is at the heart of your recovery and it's the heart of my recovery. Life is is for living, you know. Addiction was me running from life, you know, living in fantasy, and um, every I love you are a perfect example of the, of, of recovery, I would say. And I, I commend you, sir. I really, really congratulate
2: you. Thank you. I, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just, you never it know what, yeah, you never know what God's going to do with it. And I always believe he hears our cries. He hears our pain. He answers it in his timing. And sometimes the timing is perfect. And sometimes it totally sucks. And he's just waiting and waiting and waiting, but there's beauty on the other side. You just, you're seeing that image of a, the guy with the pickaxe and he's like, going like this and there's he's ready to quit and there's a diamond just like one more strike away right it's like there's a diamond on the other side people so keep striking keep digging you know get help find a team that can support you and uh, that understands you and gets you not a team that like if you and i shared a couple of our stories with certain people in our life they'd be like dude why did you do that other people be like
1: i totally get it man right you gotta be a a little discerning (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's take uh, the, the final, we'll hear from our, our sponsor the final time, and then we'll come back with the unfortunate last segment with Rob Lohman.
0: This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What are the secrets to wealth? Benjamin Franklin taught them, but people are ignorant or just forget. What if you make sure neither afflicts you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P E R F I C I O.io where you can actually become certain you're on your way to wealth.
1: You're listening to the self-help coaching podcast with me, your host, Tony Petrozzo, We're having just a in fantastic, even intense at times conversation with Rob Loman. Great stuff, really, man. Uh, your model of recovery, as I just said. Uh, and that doesn't mean he's perfect. Not like me.
2: <laughs> i am not perfect i will admit it my wife will tell you 100 i'm not perfect uh,
1: but you know you talked about so many great things i didn't even want to interrupt you we're just having such a it was such a great forthcoming of information but i would like to say something about you You talked about identity uh, you know I, very often when i work with sponsees even now i said i might have mentioned that i'm working with someone now one of the first things i had them do is to help re-establish their identity i was like make a list of what you like what you don't like, behaviors to be avoided, to reestablish their identity. But then I also found in recovery, the great, real great recovery is about disintegrating the ego, and the ego is the self-identity. So it has nuance, and it really takes some knowledge or wisdom to, to be in this process of reestablishing identity and then disintegrating that identity yeah. <laughs> to get to the deeper, more humble, more spiritual parts, uh, which is really who we really are. Whoever you think you are, you're more than that people. All mm-hmm. right. So uh, great. And, and, and I, you, I like how you went into the coaching too, you know, and I created a virtual coaching program, Proficio that's going to, is the world's first true self-help coach that's going to revolutionize the, uh, self-help is going to transform it and you know you're a specialist and you're as an interventionist uh, even and, and as a recovery coach but he, but as a business coach what i did with proficio is that i take the, all the experts or you know that it takes any author of any self-help book and it coaches a person to learn that stuff and most importantly apply it so if you can take i can get a million rob Lomans. Or or a million or a million different specialties to all be plugged into Proficio, and whoever wants that specialty, they're going to get it, and it's going to have massive success. But we awesome. all do our we all do our own thing, and, and and you and I, and I I say this, I'll say this as humbly as I can. We we are really models of recovery success because with addiction, it, you know, addiction addiction doesn't make a person not a person. That's ridiculous. You, uh, you know, in psych- psychological terms, it's a maladaptation. All right? But you're still a person, but you have so crippled yourself. You're so crippled. You, you, you're, li- you're, 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 filing, you're firing on one cylinder, to use a car metaphor. And that's no way to run a race. You need those cylinders firing. You have cleaned those spark plugs. You're firing on, the, on those cylinders. Me as well. And that's what recovery promises any person, is that you can have the life that you're supposed to have. Just got to get out of your own way. You got to, you got to, you know, do some, if you, th- if you buy the AA or NA model that you're broken, well, guess what? You can be repaired. And if yeah. you don't buy that, that's fine. You don't buy, you don't have to buy the disease, disease model, you know, dis ease. All right. Uh, you don't have to buy that model, but you do have to change yourself. You change yourself. You offer, you offer people all sorts of change on, on, on the addiction side, on the regular side, on the business side, Uh, You know, this is what recovery is supposed to be: is that you are being who Rob Loman is supposed to be, doing what Rob Loman is supposed to do. Uh, You know, and and God God bless you. And I say that in the most non-religious way possible. By the way, I I still consider myself a Christian, though most Christians would not say that. Um, you know, you, oh Tony, you can't have those beliefs. No, no. (laughs) You know, oh, guess what? This Christian has them. Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah. You know, so I, I love what you're about, man. Uh, you have been a fantastic guest. I really appreciate it. Do you have any, any uh, final remarks for the audience?
2: So do I have two minutes for a story? Absolutely. All right. You
1: Rob, I give you three.
2: <laughs> All right. Sweet. All right. I'm going to tell you about a black bear. So my wife and I were coming back from uh, a, tr- a trip. We went over steamboat Springs. We are running a half marathon for a team leukemia for a friend of ours to support him. And we're driving back over this place called rabbit ears pass. And I, I look at my wife and I say, hey, babe, would you pray that I would see a black bear on the way home? She's like, okay, whatever. I've lived in Colorado my whole life and never just prayed and saw a black bear. And so they're asleep. My wife and kids are asleep. And we're driving over. We're coming into Silverthorne, Colorado. And on the right side of this two-lane highway, there's these two Ford F-350s. And they're all they're looking into the, into the field. And I'm like, no way. I slam my brakes on, whip a U-turn at 55 miles an hour, turn back the other way. And there's a huge black bear crossing this two-lane highway. And we see it go in there. And my family woke up and the black bear disappears into the, like the brush, right? He's just gone. And I'm like, that is so amazing. We laughed, we cracked up. It was a beautiful thing. And a couple months ago, a couple months after my wife, she bought me this black bear. So I know if you're not on video, you can't see it. So she bought me this black bear. And it talks about that God cares about the small details of your life. He hears your cries. He hears your pain. And so it's the reminder that no matter what you're going through, there is a way out. And somebody, whatever you believe in something out there is is listening to you and hearing that you want help. And if you do, there is help that's possible. And just know that these little black bear stories can be all part of your recovery that little things will happen. And you're like, Oh my gosh, thank you for that answer. And that's kind of like the proof that there's an answer somewhere. It may not be when you want it. It may not be next week. You know, recovery talks about the fear of financial insecurity will leave you. It doesn't say you're gonna be rich. It says the fear is going to be gone. So find something that's going to ground you and figure out who you are. And from there, you can go forward and do anything Because if anything comes against who you know who you are, then it's wrong. It's false. It's a lie. If something says you suck and you know you're awesome, then the person, the thing that said you suck is wrong. If it says you're going places, you're going to do great things, and something says you're not worth it, you'll never measure up, well, then that's wrong. So believe the positive things going on and uh, just don't stay stuck in the rut, man. Just get out of it.
1: Absolutely great stuff, man. You've been awesome awesome, truly awesome guest. You've delivered such great content. You offer people so much. I Man, outstanding, great stuff. Uh, and I got the feeling, Rob, that this is the beginning of our relationship. <laughs>
2: yeah, we're going to do some other stuff together for sure. But it's the way it starts, right? You get to connect with people and do other big things. So we'll definitely be in touch and That's do some it. other things together for real. So I appreciate you. Thanks for all you're doing.
1: You're quite welcome. And remember, everyone, we're all responsible for ourselves and we could all use a little help. With that, we'll see you on the next episode of the Self-Help Coaching Podcast. Thanks again, Rob Lohman.
2: Talk to you later.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.